who God uses right here, right now in the midst of the crisis. And maybe everyone won't know about it. Maybe there won't be evangelical associations named after us. But you know what? Guess what? God wants to use people. God wants to use you. Because God works in a context and God doesn't need to use people, but he chooses to use people. So why not you? Why not me? Why not us? Why not now? It's pretty amazing when you think about it, the fact that God wants you to be part of the work he's doing in the world. But it's true, and it's exactly what you see in the life of Elijah. The Israelites were in a great time of crisis. They needed God to intervene and help them. So he sent Elijah. Today, Pastor Daniel asks if you're willing to partner with God in what he's doing. He wants to use people to do his work. So why not you? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Kings chapter 16 with his continuing message called God Works. You know, Ahab, he was the worst in the whole string of the kings. Now, the Bible isn't just wanting to tell us that Ahab was bad. He wants to explain to us why Ahab was bad. Now, look at what it says about what he had done. Verse 31, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabak, that he took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal, and he worshipped him. So the first thing that Ahab did wrong was he continued to walk in the sins of of Jeroboam. Now, remember, Jeroboam took those 10 northern tribes, but what Jeroboam did is he did not want the children of Israel to go down to Jerusalem to worship because he knew that that would soften or weaken his, his reign. So he set up a place of worship there in Samaria and he put idols in there. He put golden calves in there for them to worship. And so automatically he begins, Jeroboam begins leading them in, in idolatry, something that would offend God. And sure enough, Ahab not only does that, but then it says that Ahab marries this woman named Jezebel, who is the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. And, and so, you know, Jezebel obviously is not a, a godly woman. She doesn't come from a godly family. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing because sometimes, you know, we live in a day and age now where people want to push against some of the biblical narrative. You know, some people see Jezebel as this amazing woman. Now, I, I don't blame Jezebel. Her father is, you know, Ethbal. He was not a godly man. He did not raise a godly woman. And really what we find is that Jezebel was not properly raised. And ultimately Jezebel walked in the sins that her family taught her. And in a lot of ways, she promoted that within the children of Israel. And we're going to see as we look at the whole story in this series, how Jezebel is a very aggressive, angry, violent woman. And ultimately, She is being used to subvert God's plans within the midst of his people. Now, here's the thing. I wanted to bring up the fact, because I I don't want to give Jezebel like, you know, that wasn't all the Bibles against women and Jezebel. No, no, listen. Jezebel made her own decisions. 
She could have very easily turned to the true and living God. But no, her and Ahab get married. There's a political alliance that gets made. And sure enough, Ahab begins worshiping Baal. He sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which was been in Samaria. And then it says, and Ahab made a wooden image, verse 33. And that word wooden image literally is an Asherah, which was the female deity counterpart to Baal, right? And as he does that, he's provoking God to anger because if at the very basic level, the Ten Commandments tells us that there is only one God and that God cares how we worship him. So everything that Ahab is doing is going against the very foundation of God's plan for his people, right? And so Baal now is setting up this worship of Baal, setting up this wooden image of Asherah. And then to make matters worse, in verse 34, we learn that in the days of Ahab, that Ahiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid the foundations. So in all these different ways, we see the context of this crisis. And it really, it's a crisis of leadership that is now leading people away from God. And here's what the point I want to make before we continue on in this journey together is that, listen, our culture right now is in crisis. Our culture, by and large, in this cultural moment, does not believe in the true and living God. And you have all of the influences going on in our culture to influence us to worship other things. See, and here's what I want you to know. Every single one of us worships. It's just a matter of who we worship and why we worship them. And our souls will be diminished. Our hearts will be diminished if we are not worshiping the true and living God. See, the reason God is a jealous God, jealous for our hearts, because he knows if we worship something other than or someone other than him, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. If we worship anything else, it diminishes who we are. The image of God that we bear as humanity gets lessened by the objects of our worship. All of us will be shaped into whatever we worship. So listen, I want to encourage you because even though the unique circumstances of what's going on here, some was 800 years before Jesus, because Ahab reigned 874 to 853 BC, so almost 900 years before Jesus. Although the context, the moment is different, a lot of the same things are going on today. All of the pressure, the influence, you know, in a social media world where people talk about God, they get shamed. Celebrities put their faith and trust in Jesus and want to sing songs about Jesus and they get shamed by culture. See, we have all of the same influences going on and the Bible teaches that as the leadership goes and as the influence goes, that's the way a society goes. So I want to encourage you, listen, we want to be a part of a pure rebellion against this anti-God sentiment. I call it a rebellion because we're going against the grain. We're living subversively in the midst of it, but it's a pure rebellion because it's not about taking up guns and killing people. It's about us putting our eyes on Jesus, following the true and living God, no matter what anybody says. Because listen, God works in a context. And in the midst of all of this, this is a crisis for the children of Israel. Now, look at what happens. First Kings chapter 17, verse one, it says this. And Elijah, the Tishbite, 
of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, guess what? God also works through people. So in the midst of this context, this crisis, God raises up a person. And in our case here, this person is simply Elijah the Tishbite. So, so Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. And he, and, and he lives in this community called Tishbe, which is in, is in the Gilead, which is on the east side of the Jordan River. And God gave Elijah a mission. So Elijah got on up whatever God told him. He heard God's promise. He walked to the west to Samaria. He busted on into the palace, however he pulled that off. And he hurled an ultimatum at this evil king. Look at what he says. As the Lord God of Israel lives. Now, I love this so much because what Elijah does is he grounds what he's going to say in the personality of God. The Lord God of Israel. He's saying, look, you're the king of Israel, but guess what? You are not worshiping the God of Israel, but I know the Lord God of Israel, not the God who you're worshiping, right? As the Lord God of Israel lives, and he says, before whom I stand. Now, my friends, I love this, and I don't want you to miss this. Do you realize before whom you stand every day? Do you realize that every single moment of all of our lives, we stand before the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things. There's nothing that we do that's private. There's not like you, you can delete your browsing history, but what you've done is known. And I don't say that it's, it's not a scare tactic. You know, I've heard it once said this way, that God loves us so much he can't take, take his eyes off of us. See, God is, we, in God, we live and move and have our being. And each one of us, you live your life before God. And I realize that when you think about that, that's kind of a terrifying thing. Because some things you do, you're like, man, I hope nobody knows that I did that. And that is why when we realize that we live before a perfect and holy God, that's why it is so important that we receive Jesus, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Because in the light of God's perfections, our imperfections are so clear. Like, when you realize that there's nothing, there's nothing I have ever done that God hasn't seen. I often joke with my kids, we live in a social media age, and I always say, you know, because I didn't grow up following Jesus, I always say, I am so grateful there was no social media when I was growing up. I'm so grateful that everyone didn't have, like, a, a camera that could take pictures or videos or audio when I was growing up, because I could only imagine, and actually, I don't even want to imagine all the stuff that would be about me online, all the dumb things that I did that there's videos of and my friends put on social media. And I'm so grateful, but I'm also reminded that that might protect my reputation a little bit, but the God who created and sustains me, he knows all that stuff. And yet he still sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Actually, God loved me enough to send Jesus to die on a cross for all those mistakes that I made. So listen, all of us need to realize before whom we live. There's nothing that happens that's private. There's no such, you know, like maybe other humans might not know. But listen, the God of all creation before who lives, before whom we stand, he sees everything. 
And then notice what he says. He says, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So Elijah comes and Elijah declares a drought. Now you might be saying, oh, like, so, okay, so no rain. Like we live in the Pacific Northwest here at Crossroads. Like that sounds great. I could do, I could do, listen, in that culture, that was declaring total catastrophe. This was long before Costco, long before, you know, you can get food delivered to your house, long before there was freezers and all these things. When there was no rain, they lived in an arid climate. There was no food. And once that drought took hold, people died in mass. And Elijah is declaring the very curses that God said would happen if the children of Israel stopped following him. If you don't believe me, you can go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 28, Leviticus chapter 16, and all these different places, God said, if you do not honor me, I will withhold my blessings from you. And the rain for them was a blessing. Now, James in the New Testament talks about this. This is what James says. This is James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. James 5, 16 to 18 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And then it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So it's beautiful that James links up this very story because Elijah said, listen, as the Lord lives, there will be no rain or no dew at all unless, of course, except at my word. So it's on me. And then James picked up and reminds that we should confess our sins to one another and we can pray for one another so that we can be healed. Because the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And then says, just like Elijah. Elijah was just like us. But Elijah prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Then Elijah prayed that it would rain and it did. And we're going to see that in this series. So it's important to realize that Elijah, in his prayer life, linking up hands with God. I always tell people that prayer is not me getting my will done in heaven Prayer is linking up hands with God to get his will done on earth. And Elijah is doing that. And, and we need to be able to pray with one another. We need to be able to talk with one another. And I love it says that we should confess our sins to one another. This is why we so much want all of the Crossroads family and all of you to be in, in a community group. Right? Because there's something about being able to say, listen, I'm really struggling. My marriage is struggling. This is a habit that is developed and it's wrong. And then you confess and then you pray for one another that you may be healed because it's the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. It's Jesus's righteousness that we're clothed in as we pray for one another that brings us healing. Because God uses people and there are people who walk through life with you. And the same thing is going on here with, with Elijah. God chooses to raise up Elijah in the midst of this crisis. And I don't know about you. I want God to raise up infinite numbers of Elijahs in this generation. 
You know, sometimes we think about, you know, God raising up people. And, we, and you think in every generation, you know, hundreds of years ago at the Great Awakening, there was people like George Whitfield and John Wesley. God used them. And then, you know, in the great missionary movement, you have people like William Carey and Gladys Alward and Adoram Judson and Amy Carmichael. And, and, and then you think about it in, in, in this generation that just passed. You have Billy Graham and my good friend who I love so much, Luis Palau and how God raised up people like Chuck Smith and John Piper and, and and Tim Keller. And I'm looking at right now 2020 and I'm saying, Lord, raise up not only the big names, but Lord, raise up your people. Because why, why aren't you going to be a, a, an Elijah in this generation? Like, why can't it be you being that person who God uses right here, right now in the midst of the crisis? And maybe everyone won't won't know about it. Maybe there won't be evangelical associations named after us. But you know what? Guess what? God wants to use people. God wants to use you. Because God works in a context and God doesn't need to use people, but he chooses to use people. So why not you? Why not me? Why not us? Why not now? The crisis is real, and God is looking to use people. Now, look at what happens next. First Kings chapter 17, verse 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, this is speaking of Elijah, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flowed into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You know, what we learn here is that God works to provide for his children. God works to provide for his children. Now, you see how we did that. We see God works in context, and then God works through people. Now we see that God works to provide for his children. Now, what's interesting about this, of course, is is Elijah just declared a drought. He just declared that there's going to be no food. And God tells him, look, I want you to leave here. I want you to head to the east, and I want you to hide it at the brook Cherith, which flows on into the Jordan. He's saying, I want you to go to a specific place. And he's like, and when you get there, you're going to be able to drink from the brook, and I am going to provide for you through the ravens. And the ravens are going to bring you food. Now, what's interesting is ravens have been known to neglect their young. Job talks about that. And I don't know about you, I've never had a bird share food with me. Anybody here ever have a bird just like share food? Normally the bird just uses for target practice, right? They're not looking to come over and like they found some meat, they find some food, they find some berries and they just drop it in front of you. I mean, listen, I, I don't know about you. I, growing up in New Jersey, there was all those seagulls down at the beach. You had to guard your food, man. If you had food out, those things, they were dive bombing to try and take your, your potato chips or whatever. So, but now we have God supernaturally providing for Elijah in the midst of a crisis where there's no food. And when you hear something like that, you're just reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, 
or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather in a barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all of these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, try and imagine you're Elijah for a second, right? Times of crisis. This is the generation he grew up in. Obviously, he knows that Ahab's not a good guy. He's seeing the worship of Baal. And then God comes to him and says, Elijah, I want you to go. I want you to tell the king. And I want you to declare a drought. Now, at that moment, Elijah realized his own well-being is on the line. He's going to the king. And he realizes if there's a drought, he's not going to have any food either. And then the Lord says to him, listen. You did your job, now I want you to go there and, and I'm going to feed you supernatural. And you can imagine Elijah doubting. But really what you find here is that God not only told him he was going to provide for him, but then we see God supernaturally providing for Elijah. He's drinking from the brook and literally the ravens, it says they're bringing him meat and bread. So like they're bringing him food morning and evening. But the only way Elijah knows this is because he trusted God and he did what God asked. You notice it says, Elijah went. He, he went to the brook Cherith. And, and listen, here's the thing. When we read in Matthew 6 about do not worry, do not worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat. God feeds the birds. Do not worry about what you're going to wear. God clothes the flowers. Don't worry about the basic necessities. It's really easy to say, well, yeah, that's great, but how is that ever going to be rational or logical? How's this really going to happen? But then he says... Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So really, it's a, it's, it's a question now of obedience. And I think the reason we are so apt to worry, and I'm not preaching down on anybody. Listen, we all know what it's like to worry. But when you remember what Jesus said, you're like, oh, wait, I, if I'm worrying, it's because I got my eyes off the Lord. And I got my eyes on the crisis. But my job is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then God has promised he's going to provide. But for many of us, when we get worried in the crisis, we stop seeking God and his righteousness and we start seeking to protect ourselves and our earthly stuff. But really, the only reason Elijah is experiencing God's supernatural provision is because he did what God asked. And my friends, listen, whatever your crisis is right now, I want to encourage you not to focus on the crisis, but focus on Christ. I want to remind you that the reason you don't have to worry is because if you are seeking after what God has, God provides for his kids. He does. Jesus is 
It's amazing how you can slip into worry so quickly without even realizing it. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that in times of crisis, God will give you what you need. You don't have to worry. But this is only possible when you keep your focus on God. Worry happens when your eyes shift from the Lord down to you and your stuff. So keep looking up. God is there, and like Elijah, you can trust Him to give you what you need. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you, and that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio, and Pastor Daniel will talk about trust, a foundational part of your walk with God. He'll invite you to take a look at how Elijah and a poor widow's trust in God brought provision for them when there was a famine in the land. Like them, when you see God's faithfulness and power, your trust in Him will grow. Even when it's scary or doesn't make sense, you can know that God will show up and show you the way. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Crisis. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.